0: MFs, welcome back to Hustle Like You Broke. It's dark days here in the States of America, and I hate to start today's episode on a somber note. We've always said we would avoid getting political on this podcast, but now isn't the time to stay silent. You know, I was walking my dog this morning, and it crossed my mind about 10 minutes in that I looked like a slob. My clothes were dingy. I hadn't looked in the mirror before I walked out the door. Didn't look at my hair. Didn't put a hat on my head. And I'm not much to look at on a good day. But I'm fortunate. I'm fortunate that I can leave the house without fear for my life when I step outside my door. And I don't mean to sound dramatic about it, but there are people who literally can't do that. I don't have to concern myself with my appearance because the odds of my being stopped, arrested, killed are low, but that's not the case for everybody. George Floyd died for no fucking reason, none. Well, that's not true, I take it back. He died for one very simple reason, because he's black. And I'd like to say that it isn't a political issue because it shouldn't be a political issue. The color of one's skin has nothing to do with fucking politics. Except that it always has. We talk about Groundhog Day around here, how life during the coronavirus is the same shit day after day. And in the case of George Floyd, It sure the fuck is. Ahmed Arbery, not long ago. Breonna Taylor, before that. The list goes on and on and on. It's like Will Smith said, racism isn't on the rise in this country. It's just getting filmed now. What happened with George Floyd isn't unique other than the fact that the camera was only a few feet away, and it's plastered all across social media and all across mass media, like fucking murder porn or something for people to watch again and again, and I don't remember ever seeing anything like it before. And i really like to say that racism is un-American, but the problem is, it's really fucking American. And this shit's gotta stop. Being black in America is not a fucking crime. And everyone with a voice needs to stand up and use it now. Everyone has to stand up and say no more. A few weeks ago, white men, armed to their teeth, stormed a state capitol, and lawmakers and journalists alike praised them for protecting their rights. Do you think black people would get away with that? So now we've got protests all across the country, and most of them are entirely nonviolent. And of course, I'm concerned for the ones that are. But tensions are boiling over. Is anyone fucking surprised? People are mad as hell. Because systemic racism is a real thing. It's an American thing. It's a global thing. Now is the time for change. I'm not sure how we get there. I don't know the path forward. But I think Killer Mike had it right when he said, it's time to plot, plan, strategize, organize, and mobilize. And it's time to vote people out of office who don't belong. First and foremost, or fucking president. I have no problem putting that out there. And if I offend anybody, I really don't give a fuck. You know, the comedian and activist Dick Gregory once said something to the effect of, if I am, have said anything to offend you, perhaps that's what I'm here for. And I've always really appreciated that line and I feel that way now more than ever because if that if what I've said offends anybody perhaps it should perhaps we all need to stand up and think a little more about what the fuck is going on in this country because it wasn't long ago there were protests in fucking Charlottesville, North Carolina with white supremacists and our president referred to good people on both sides but I don't hear that rhetoric today I just hear him talking about thugs and we all know what the fuck that means so again, I go back to Killer Mike, I say Killer Mike for president that's what I say because anybody that hasn't listened to his public address should do so immediately, to appreciate the compassion in his voice, to appreciate the perspective he shares. That's all I've got to say for now. Dallas, Kyle, Banks, love y'all appreciate y'all welcome thank you anything you care to add i have nothing
1: um i don't even know what to say i mean because as a big black man myself walking in these streets or driving in these streets you know i've i've you know my mom when i was a kid gave me the conversation matter of fact i as all this is going down i um my son and I yesterday we were sitting down talking, and I let him see the video. He's only ten, and I'm but I, and I'm sure we ha- and him and I had a conversation that I'm sure you and your son would never have. That's
0: right. Banks.
2: It's. I mean. Uh, For us, it's, it's just become like a part of our lives, you know, Um, as Kyle has had the conversation with his son, my dad, had the same conversation with me when I was younger about how to address an officer, how to not look intimidating when I'm walking around, you know, how, when I get pulled over to alert them, what I'm reaching for, you know, where my license is, where my registration is to roll down all of my windows so that I'm not looking like a threat, you know, to remove my hood when I'm walking down the street, you know, things like this are things that my dad, my mom have, you know, constantly warned me about, you know, when I was on my college campus, you know, not to walk up on women, you know, who weren't black, you know, to, to give myself distance, you know, just, just, all kinds of different things, how, how I kept my hair, you know, how I said, yes, sir, no, sir, you know, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, you know, just things like that, you know, were instilled in me so that I wasn't a threat. And it's unfortunate, it's disgusting, it's, it makes me angry, it makes me scared, you know, it, it makes me cautious, it, it gives me all these different feelings that I feel I shouldn't have to have as a human being. But unfortunately this is the world that we live in.
0: It's incomprehensible. It, it's yeah, I'm not even sure where to go with it. And and it's a, it's it's not I'd love to say it's un-American, but you know what? It's really fucking American, sadly. It makes me embarrassed and ashamed. You get a I get a call just a little while ago from a friend in the Netherlands asking what the fuck is going on in our country. And it's 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 devastating. And it's fucking terrible. And I can only hope one day it will be un-American, but it's really fucking American right now. Dallas, any thoughts?
3: I mean, just like we are all sharing, the disgust and just, I don't know, I've lived here, I guess, on and off for about 35 years, and I find it, uh, it's the first thing that I was introduced to when I arrived, and it sickens me to say it hasn't changed in the time I've been here, and, you know, it just comes off in different, more disgusting ways, and what's taken place in the last few weeks, particularly, um, is just unbelievable, and I don't know what you do. But I think it is a serious, serious need to fix. Somebody has to, somehow they need to reach down deep and figure out how to make this right. You know? I mean, it sickens me.
0: Well, just going to take another moment, compose my thoughts, and uh, then we'll move on with the show. Okay, so as if there is anything else that's important to be talking about right now, another thing that is in the news that relates more directly to the concert industry at large is actually what's happening in Major League Baseball. And we've talked about the reopening of sports. We've talked about plans that baseball and the NBA and the NFL all have. Kyle, I know you're a huge proponent of the NFL coming back full steam ahead audiences in stadiums. I'm not sure about that part. Um, But now we're seeing that salary negotiations are going on and ownership is suggesting that everyone take a pretty substantial haircut. No one, none more so than the highest paid among us. So, I guess the other question I want to ask to our co-hosts before we bring out our guest for today is, how do they feel like that will factor into artists' negotiations? I mean, the response in baseball so far has been the players saying, fuck you. Hell no, I'm not taking a 50% pay cut or whatever.
1: And they shouldn't.
0: So what do we think the artists are going to say when these same conversations happen?
1: They shouldn't take a cut either, because when the profits are happening, they're not getting no extra cut. the the deal is what it is you know when you get your profits they're not sharing the profits with the artist oh we made 200 million today so now you're gonna get your bonus of 4 million they're not doing that so why should the artist take a cut
0: well what happens if the promoters don't get that money though i mean this the whole thing about this reopening so far is that every fucking element is going to be more expensive I, i mean and and they're going to have to be More on top of outsized costs for everything that we're already accustomed, there will be new elements, new pieces in place. The need for like I saw something, a proposal with a fucking mitigation consultant or specialist that needed to be on site for events and just different people to ensure safety, to ensure public trust to to ensure mental health and stability that when we do get back to work, people aren't freaking out, having fucking PTSD issues and things of that nature. It doesn't feel to me like anybody is going to make money in the short term. And that certainly begs the question, when and how we can reopen. The money is
1: already, the already there. The difference is the profits are going to go down. I mean, they're still going to make money, just not going to take home crazy exorbitant amount of profit. You're going to still make a profit, which is what we are all doing this for, but you know, 500 million a billion dollars in profit. Those are go- those days are probably going to change, but the money is still there. It's the same money. It's just, you know, reallocated differently and your profit is a little less. But is there still are you still in the black? Of course.
0: Banks, Dallas thoughts.
2: I agree. I mean, a hundred percent. I mean, like Kyle said, the money is still being made. It's just not going to be this record year that everybody was talking about it was going to be. You're still making money. You just have to, you know, put those costs into other factors and spread it, you know, amongst other things. You know, you can't have a huge margin in certain areas. You know, they are going to be smaller margins. Money is still going to be made. People shouldn't be taking a pay cut. There's still, being, still money going to be made.
3: But with the reality that they're not going to be able to allow that many patrons i.e ticket buyers to the show surely that's going to affect the bottom line so you know i think that's i agree with you i don't want to take a pay cut none of us want to take pay cuts but somebody's going to have to you know deep like release the fundage and it, it can come from the guarantees because the guarantees are kind of way out of whack with reality just like some may say you know certain sports athletes make a lot of money when other people who might be contributing more to the world don't make the same amount of money.
1: For instance, well, with the airline with the airline industry. The airline industry, um, when they started implementing this damn luggage tax, which I call a tax, luggage fees, they say they made some of uh, something like four billion dollars profit in the first quarter, or some crazy shit like that. So the money's still there. You may not make four billion dollars profit. You may make two billion or a billion, but you're still making crazy profit. So your bottom line is paid, everything is at zero. Nobody owes any money. You're still making your money. So again, we should not take a cut just because these, you know, corporations are making all this instead of them the CEOs making all this crazy money now, which I get it, get your money. But since now you have to implement a certain costs and this and that, this and then the third, now those two billion, two million dollar bonuses at the end of the year may be a million dollar bonus, but you're still getting your bonus.
0: Well, on that note, we have a guest with us today who knows a little something about budgets. And uh probably has some thoughts on what we're doing and what we're saying, so I'd like to bring her out. We're very happy to have her with us today. I'm especially happy because she is a fellow New Englander. Granted, she's moved off to the West Coast, understandably, but uh, not a lot of New Englanders on this program just yet. Hopefully, we'll be changing that before long. And uh, everyone here knows her quite well. Kyle and Chris have toured with her extensively. Dallas has toured with her as well. First time I met her, she was handling artist relations in the headliner compound at Coachella. And I will say that she definitely busted my balls. She was very tough, but she was very fair. I've worked with a lot of AR people at a lot of festivals across the globe. And I would definitely rank her among the top, if not the best I have seen. Very impressive. She is the tour manager for Pharrell Williams. She has been the road manager for Selena Gomez. She has been the production coordinator for Blink-182, which I believe is how she knows Dallas. And uh, we're very fortunate to have her on the program, Miss Meg Dieter.
4: Hi, everybody. Meg
1: Meg Meister, how are you?
4: Meg Meister, it's one of my favorites. I'm good, I'm good. I already want to argue with you, Kyle.
1: Let's go. (laughs) You know know I'm about the money. Pay me, damn it.
4: It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that.
1: Why doesn't it?
4: We have done budgets over and over again. And with this new system of how we're going to have to take extra health precautions and there's not going to be as many patrons that are going to be able to come and bathrooms need to be turned over you know a million times over again and cleaned you know every 10 people or what the new rule is going to be it's a completely different ball game there's line items in there that you never would have thought of before
1: but shouldn't they already have been in place from the beginning? You're dealing with hundreds of thousands of people already. So why shouldn't that? Why should that be like, oh, but it's just it now not,
4: it's just not should they have or, you know, maybe what is the right thing to do is a different conversation from what it has been. And I'm it's just going to be a lot more expensive. Yeah, that's why we're at home. So do I think that artists should take a pay cut? I do think that that is a conversation because I don't think that you can ask the ticket holder to have the ticket prices go up. And I think that's what the most important conversation is, is that needs to stay the same.
1: Agreed. And again, it goes to the, back to what I was saying. The ticket prices stay the same. Why should the artist price go down? Because again... If the ticket price stays the same, you're still doing the same venues, maybe there's less. Again, the same thing that I was just talking about. You may have a reduction in your profits, but you still have a profit. If you do two days in a venue versus one, okay, you're going to get the rate. The venue you're going to get for the sec- day two is going to be at a discounted rate anyway. So, But the venue
4: will only be able to be a third full. It won't be able to be 100% full. And that's a completely different ballgame. And then you have to talk about what kind of experience do you want to give the patrons? Because, you know, if you only have 25% of people in a venue, in comparison, do you still give them the same experience that they would have if you had the funds with 100% full? is another conversation.
1: Well, yes, a hundred percent full, but they are probably going to do three or four nights. The first two nights to be at a first night to be a full rate. Second night to be a reduced rate. Third and fourth night will probably be free for the venue. But the, 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 again, the, the, the crew is still on the same salary. Their monies aren't going to change because they still on the same salary for a week. The difference is, it's just dealing with the venue prices and, you know, like again, how, how does that affect you just doing multiple nights? It's like if you, when you're doing a residency,
3: I think the thing to understand though, initially, there's such a small margin of profit from the promoter, venue, production side who are actually putting on the shows. There's not that money, isn't there when you've only got 25% or 30% capacity? I mean, it just doesn't exist. So the only additional money there is is a guarantee because that's the biggest fluff in the whole pot.
1: No, I agree with that. But again, if you're doing multiple nights to get the same return, again, the venue changes. I mean, yes, you may have costs regarding you know the staffing and the crew, but the venue itself is a little cheaper. And then like, it's like with doing a residency. The artist is still getting the same money. It's just, it's just broken down differently, differently. You're doing four nights at, say, the Palms or Caesars Palace, four or five nights or a week. You're not paying full price every day. You're still the same situation. so That's how they're going to treat these uh, new upcoming shows, in my opinion. I could be 100% wrong, and I probably am, but that would be the model nothing would change it's just you know you're spreading it out but it's all the same money you you you, your trucking costs go down your labor goes down because you're setting up the show one time not like you're setting it up four times
4: but it doesn't because the expensive thing you're paying for are those security guards who now you're multiplying by four like that cost is huge um your emts That cost multiplied by four. Those are the, you know, fire, police. Like, those are the things that add up really quickly. No, I get it.
1: But, again, you're still going to end up at that same 100% dollar. Yes, but uh, the difference is now your profit margin is a little bit less because you had to pay for the other situations. But your money still shows up.
0: Now, wait a second, Kyle. Let me understand. So if an artist performs... Let's say it's not twenty five percent capacity. Let's say it's thirty three percent capacity, and the artist now has to do three shows in a row to reach a hundred capacity, hundred percent capacity. Are they making a hundred percent of the money one time or each time?
1: No, it's it's like I said with doing when you do residency. It's not a hundred percent. The money is the same money, just spread out differently. So if I'm gonna do these this these three dates. For, you know, x amount of millions of dollars, then that's what it's going to be, because they they're still going to make the same money, just spread out over different over a duration as opposed to one night.
0: So the but, artist is then performing three shows to make to be whole for what would have otherwise been one. Correct.
4: Which he does have a point there, and we've done models to do a drive-in. Same movie, which you know a ton of other people have too. A drive-in movie slash a drive-in concert, and the only way that it financially makes sense is if you were to do it thirty days in a row. You do one show, it financially makes zero sense at all. You do programming thirty days in a row, then you see a profit. So I do see what Kyle is saying there. Um, but I it completely takes a really agree. Long time to get there.
0: Yeah, and I completely agree. I think in that under those pretenses where more aligned and on the same page i, I was thinking about it in terms of the artist does one night to 33 percent capacity make no. their full check
1: no that's not what i'm saying no, that's not what i was saying but then on the flip okay. side of it now okay yes the artist in the in retrospect yes the artist is working harder technically but in theory it's about the same because they have no travel once they've done show one and and basically, it is their sound check for the rest of the whole thing, unless they're changing everything. So they get so now their rest changes dramatically. Now they get a lot more rest as opposed to jumping on a bus or jumping on a flight, going here, going there, running around. Only thing they may have to do is probably some radio or promo. But other than that, their rest is is through the roof. So they'll be fresh every night, and they're going to do X amount of shows.
0: Well, wait a second. I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second because I like where you're going in theory but the reality in that is your crew cost goes up exponentially because of additional hotel nights. There are fewer shows, fewer different markets you can hit in a week. So the tour has to go on longer or you less hit less markets, which ultimately is less revenue overall. And I would imagine a lot of artists under those terms would look to more locals than touring crew, which is a benefit to the local economy. Potentially, but not to the touring crew, because the only way to alleviate the burden of the additional hotel nights is to use locals.
1: I disagree because first of all, second, first of all, if you don't have your, your core crew, your show is shot because then you have to do rehearsals and Disney. You will never have a consistent show. The only core thing- crew.
0: Core crew. Now hold on, but core crew, but that's, you know, the core crew is a, is a very small fraction of what a large tour crew otherwise looks like you, you don't, you might not want to have six, you know, lighting techs and eight video guys and four other audio techs and six other automation guys. And I mean, I, I, I don't have the answers and I'm just playing devil's advocate, but I think that the truth lies somewhere in between. Meg, I think by virtue of your experience with your other company, DWG, you probably know a lot more about this than we do. And, uh, I'd love to hear more of that because the other thing you just introduced, which I wholeheartedly agree with is the modeling for these driving concerts. And I've believed for a while now that the problem there is in the absence of substantial profit, why would the promoter take the risk? Very valid point. Meg thoughts.
4: Yeah. I mean, the only way that it would work. And I think, you know, some of the models that we've looked at is having two different promoters, uh, crossover in one area, um, that, you know, we would produce, but they're using the same grounds. They're using the same bathrooms They're, you know, we're not moving anything and it's just using the same infrastructure over a 30 day period so that it makes sense for both parties. Fair enough. Because otherwise, I mean, you can't do it in a week. A week doesn't make up for the cost of having everything there with the amount of cars that you can have, you know, in the lot. It's just not enough patrons Agreed. and the safety factor, you know, because you can't cross cars with pedestrians. So, and because of Corona, they have to be so many feet apart. And so all of those factors, you know, coming into it and being to visually still be able to enjoy the experience without everybody too crazy spread out, uh, you know, it has to go over multiple days to be able to make it work for sure. But I think, Kyle, going back to where we started with this conversation and being home for as long as we've been home, if it came down to all of us taking a 30% pay cut or whatever that may be, and we agreed to get our industry back on our feet for 365 days or whatever we as a group all, you know, agree to, I would do it in a heartbeat. Like the next time I stand on the stage and look at the fans enjoying themselves and being there for what I love, I would 100% do it.
1: I mean, I feel everybody would probably take, you know, 15%. You know, I got to go half of you. Um, and just to get everything back going, but it would eventually go back to the real numbers. Yeah. But initially, I take 15.
4: I've got him negotiating with you about
0: this right now. Meg, you're the first person who's got him to concede anything there. So. <laughs> kudos already, 15 fucking percent. Fuck that. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm starting at 60 then. If that's where we're going, then cool. But, uh, 60% off, not 60% uh, of I your check. W- w- I way. will
1: stay home because I do not, because going back to the conversation with Mr. Digby, I do not leave money on the road.
2: I have a question, Meg. Looking at the the models that you guys have talked about for the drive-ins and having an artist perform consecutively over a certain amount of time isn't that a smaller pool of artists that you're looking at that can actually sell out shows multiple you know multiple days in the same city I feel like that changes you know everybody's you know ability to play multiple shows if they can't sell out you know multiple days in one venue
4: Oh, absolutely. But that's when you would bring in the movie aspect or you would bring in another form of entertainment that wasn't just music. Something that's not so costly.
2: So we're talking about mixing it with other different genres and other different aspects of entertainment?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. She's saying other forms of entertainment and not just music too, which I mean, to be honest, I hadn't really considered. I'm seeing pop up drive-in movie theaters come back i i still think the liability issue is is so great here the the this need that that we be able to trust one another again going back to the beginning of this podcast and what we were talking about like can mankind trust one another in this day and age i, I don't know
4: but it's the same so yes i agree with the liability portion and you know we have talked to insurance companies to get a a vibe on what that looks like, and it's not cheap. Um, but for instance, I, you know, there's a, a great hike in, behind our house, and it is trusting your neighbor. And, you know, the regulations are that you wear a mask. But I would say 50% of people wear masks, and 50% of people don't wear masks. And the same repeat people go on those hikes every weekend. And It's the others who make that decision, knowing that there are going to be those people out there that go anyway. So I'm sure the same, you know, when restaurants open up and when people do go do some kind of entertainment, it's going to be either trusting your neighbor and keeping yourself safe um, and going or staying home. And that's going to be a whole nother conversation of the people that actually go out and the people that stay home.
0: So should people then, again, just throwing it out there to to be the devil's advocate here, should people then be forced to sign a waiver that says that they're willingly putting themselves in these situations?
4: I mean, it's not a bad idea. Yeah, and I suppose that those conversations come down to the lawyers and insurance folks. For me, like I do not... Ever put myself in the middle of answering those questions, I leave it to the experts on that and to guide me in the right direction.
1: I have a question for you, Meg, since uh, you always bumping heads with me. Yeah. So with regards to insurances and whatnot and driving concerts, theaters, what of the sort, how will they be able to serve alcohol? Because if you're behind the wheel with an open can, that's an automatic DUI. Uh,
4: Alcohol is a good question, and I don't have that answer for you. Um, Food and beverage otherwise would be uh, through an app and it would be delivery. But alcohol is a really good point, and I have not. I have not
1: addressed that yet. But that's one of the, the biggest draws of money because you get a beer for $25. For you're absolutely it. right. So that would be a real, that's that's, that's revenue right there.
3: Also, who's going to check the cars and make sure they're not bringing it in anyway? <laughs>
1: but I think that's
2: changing even right now. We're seeing that in, in California, Southern California where you're able to order alcohol at a restaurant in a car and they give it to you. Yeah. I mean, that's changed everything. I mean, as far as like liability and insurance, I think they're not even thinking about that at all. They're just thinking about you know making the money. I mean, you can go to a restaurant right now, and before it was just food. You had to order food, and then you can order a cocktail. Now I'm watching people just order cocktails, put in their car, take it, drink it, and drive off.
0: Well, you're right, Chris, that that's happening. Although, you know, when there's a major concert promoter, involved the opportunity to sue that person in the unlikely event or inevitable event, as the case may be, that there is some sort of accident. It just takes one out of the thousand cars out of the 30 dates each. So one car out of 30,000 gets into an accident and sues. I mean, they're going after Live Nation for sure. you they're are. going after AEG for sure. Whoever is whoever has the deepest pocket, they're going after the fucking artist if they can. Whoever okay. has the deepest pockets, the sponsors, everyone is exposed. Everyone is at risk. I, I myself in my own career have been exposed to litigation over, I don't want to say trivial shit because that would be the, the wrong thing, but something that had nothing to do with me. But because I was indirectly involved in the show in a minority position, I still was named in the lawsuit. So who wants to expose themselves to that? And it, you're right. I mean, we, we're looking the other way. Of Public officials are looking the other way now, thinking these restaurants just need to make money. But what a mom-and-pop shop does and what Live Nation does is not the same thing.
2: But what's the difference between, like, a show where you have – You know, like a jazz in the gardens or, you know, something like that where you can buy things, you know, and sit in your car and sit in the grass and drink heavily and then drive off. There are shows like that already now that happen.
0: For, there, there, always have been. I mean, one of my first jobs ever. I was working at a place called Tanglewood in the in the Berkshires, and it was encouraged that people bring their blankets and bring their wine and you know sit out under the stars and listen to James Taylor while drinking and driving home. Inevitably, there was no walking, so it, it was kind of. I don't know. Again, it goes back to maybe that trust factor of drinking and driving, but there is an explicit difference between bringing your own and buying it too. Because, And Chris, you brought this up on another episode where you said you thought there was a move towards BYOB. Now, that might solve a liability issue, but it doesn't solve the revenue lost by the venue or the promoter or the concessionaire and and when I say or I mean and 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 all of those people tend to share in those proceeds and profits. And that is one of the major financial uh you know benefit benefits of of hosting live events, especially, you know, if we're talking about every promoter taking a taking a haircut just to do business.
2: Yeah, I I yeah. <laughs> I see that. It's just, I've seen some things and it just, it just seems, I don't know, like you said, officials are turning their heads right now, but it just seems like this is almost like the new motto: Don't ask, don't tell. And you just, you know, do what you want to do. I mean, my family and I, we just went to a drive-in movie theater that was serving cocktails. You know, they, they will them out there. The people were on roller skates and bringing, I mean, as many cocktails as you want, there's a little app and you press and they bring you as many as you want in the car, not even checking to see how many people are in the car. And this is a drive-in movie theater.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I
4: mean, that's right though. It's going to take, it's going to take one, one, one fuck up. And then it's going to be a huge thing.
0: And, and it's not like, I mean, you can make the comparison to going to a bar or, I mean, the drive-in is, is a, I, I, I hear you. I, I understand what you're saying. I don't disagree with the premise But if that drive-in was owned by Live Nation, if that drive-in was connected to who's a major movie house, Lowe's or something like that, the opportunity to litigate with a major company is, I mean, frankly, to an insurance company and to the potential beneficiary, it's a lot more attractive to go after, you know, a, a company of that size as opposed to you know, a one-off drive-in Paramount movie theater or whatever it is. Um, yeah.
2: So that's where the waivers come into play then.
0: Potentially. Potentially. I I know that there is a show, a comedy show, actually, in Auckland, New Zealand, this Friday at an indoor venue. And it's the first one that I've heard about. And they sold tickets at 60% capacity. And I don't know if they did implement a particular app which tracks when you've been tested, that you've been tested, if you're carrying the disease, had the disease, antibodies, etc. I don't have all the facts I wish I did. But I know that there's discussions about how you can track those people, how you can fulfill the duty of care as a promoter in reopening and selling to a capacity crowd even if it's a 60% capacity crowd and so waivers is just one factor testing the prerequisite of testing is another consideration whether you need to prove testing in order to attend or in order to buy a ticket i'd imagine promoter would welcome you to buy a ticket but then potentially restrict your ability to attend if you don't pass the test. Again, that that's somewhat out of my depth. But and
1: that will go against HEPA laws. You can't force somebody to talk about their medical history.
0: You're not forcing them if you're allowing them the opportunity to attend a show. They can choose you, not to buy a ticket and ticketing.
1: You, know, you can't deny a person based off of their health like that. You can't do that. They don't have to disclose their state of health to you. Oh, I, think,
0: I mean, I,
2: again, I'm not,
0: I'm not an attorney. I'm not well versed in that sort of thing, but I can't imagine that, that, that particular, I, I, there has got to be an exception carved out. We, because no venue is going to open and say, if you have had this thing, you're still welcome here anytime. If you are sick right now, sure. Come right in. We can't stop you. No fucking way. That, that would lose all public confidence. Nobody would go to those
1: shows. Again, it goes back to what I said before, where I said eighty percent of people are asymptomatic. So again, they're not going to just say you can come in if you're wearing a mask or whatever, blah blah blah. I like saying you can't come if you had the flu. They're going, they're not going to do that. They're not, they can't do that. And Man, you see how people, is- you, see, you see how the world is going crazy off of people wearing a mask. You think they're going to say, "Oh, cool, here's my medical records, please."
0: I'm not saying they will, I don't disagree with that in theory, but I I wholeheartedly dispute the premise that, that this is, first of all, we know this thing is not like the flu. So we need to stop making those types of comparisons. And I, I do think that I just don't see a path forward where everyone's medical records can stay, say, ugh, stay sealed unless, unless people are willing to sign waivers and uh, you know, give up their right to litigate in the event that they get sick because we were allowed to sit next to somebody else who knowingly had the virus but was allowed to attend. And fuck, I don't know. Meg, stop me, please. <laughs> I
4: don't know how much uh, I want to get into this. I mean, I don't. I think a lot of it will, like, for instance, I had to go to the doctor the other day with my daughter. And before we even got in the elevator to go upstairs, we got our temperatures taken and we filled out a questionnaire and we signed it and had to bring it upstairs before we even checked in for the appointment. So something like that, temperatures taken. I know they're doing wristbands um, in some cities which have information in them. And I can't go into the depth of what that is, but I know that they're coming up with ways to do some kind of health screening and let people in. And I do think that this is an exception. Like you said, Matt, again, don't know the specifics on it, but I do think that there are exceptions in comparison to normal everyday life.
1: But with the questionnaire, have you been around anybody? No, that doesn't mean you're telling the truth. They're not going to force you to show no medical document. So they could ask you for a, a, a little waiver all day, and people can lie all day long. And what would that shit change? I mean, they'll check your temperature, fine, cool, but being true to what you may or may not, may or may not have been exposed to, people are going to lie about that if they have or haven't.
0: I don't even want to touch that. Again, that that comes back to that trust factor where I am skeptical.
1: Again, look how many people bitching over wearing a mask. They would lose their shit. I mean, half of the—the the president won't even wear the shit. You think he's going to be honest about what he may or may have been exposed to when everybody in his party has been worn out from that shit? Not literally, but I'm just saying. And he's 100% good? Come on. The average person definitely isn't going to do that.
2: But that's what contact tracing is right now. Um, a lot of countries, like you mentioned the, the concert in Auckland, Auckland, i sorry, New Zealand, Australia, uh, the UK, parts, other parts of Europe have basically embraced contact tracing. And our last update on Apple basically introduces that feature of contact tracing. There's, an, there's a couple of apps that I already have on my phone now that allow you to see people who have uh, contracted COVID-19. And based on your proximity to those people, it can show those people who have had it and who have said, yes, I have had it, or I have come in contact with people, you can see who those people are on your phone in real time. It uses stuff that's already in your phone, geofencing, geotracking, bluetooth all these different things to show who you're coming in contact with and even when you go into the app as a new update it asks if you've had it if you've uh, been tested and a lot of people i know not a lot of people the people that i do know who have contracted it they have had to sign out waivers and say that they have had it and that data is then put into a, a system to where they can track those people
0: there it is Well, I feel like we can keep talking about this all day long, but since Meg is our guest and we haven't really heard a great deal about her story yet, I'd love to back up Meg. And I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about how you got into the business, what attracted you to the industry, anything you care to share. Please tell us about a little more about yourself.
4: Sure. So when I was 14, living in New Hampshire, um, my two friends, Amy and Kristen were seniors and I was a they were juniors and I was a freshman. And they said, there's a concert in New York called Woodstock 99. And we really want to go. Do you want to come? And I was like, there's no way my parents are going to let me go, but let me see if I can convince my 20 year old brother to go. And then maybe my parents will let me come if he brings me, which mind you, they're out of their mind. Uh, so they decided that it was okay. And I went to Woodstock 99 with my brother and I wanted to be a Marine biologist at that point. And when I went to Woodstock 99, I saw the magic of a festival and I said, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And I never gave up until, um, I got to that point. So I went to college after that, which did nothing for my music career. It was Good experience, but I would say I didn't take any music business-specific classes. And then I moved to New York and said I was going to get a job in music. And I did. So that's the short of it.
0: Well, that was a very short version. And it crosses my mind, and this is a bit random. So you went to Keene State College, now Keene State University, is that correct? I did. And what years were you there? Oh
4: and oh five I did uh, I did community college before that
0: I'm just trying to think back this is totally on a tangent and nothing to do with our podcast I did a couple of shows at Keene State right around then Busta Rhymes The Roots
4: Busta Rhymes which means you probably did you do Busta Rhymes at Dartmouth College as well maybe that was my first
0: concert I remember okay, going to the talk. one at Keene. I don't think I was at that one at Dartmouth, but maybe. Wyclef Sean That was a good show we did at Keene State. Wyclef, I did at UConn.
4: I went to that show, but I went to UConn. I didn't
0: go to Keene. Interesting. Uh-huh. He was great in those days. He was great. Um, sorry, totally lost track of my <laughs> thoughts. Um, so... What else? I mean, what that, that was a, a very short overview, and I appreciate that. But you've toured extensively with Kyle and Chris, and you certainly had no problem engaging Kyle and suggesting he peel back those white gloves for a second. Um, I mean, fuck it. You, you got anything hilarious you want to tell us about either of these motherfuckers? <laughs> uh,
4: specifically, I'm trying – I don't know, Kyle. You probably can bring up – I feel like your vault is way – better than mine and you can get me going
1: nah I think uh, this is your stage I'm gonna let you handle it (laughs) put you on a hot seat since you you know breaking down budgets and shit let's go ahead let's go let's get to the meat and potatoes of it
4: I don't know that's tough Kyle and I I mean we, we met each other I just looked it up earlier it was February of 2014 is when we started Pharrell
1: you had to look yeah, it we up.
4: We did, and yes. I did. I don't remember that shit. Uh, we did an NBA All Star weekend. That was the start of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And then uh, we opened some Bruno Mars shows. And then we did the Grammys. That was Oscars. a good run. Then you, be-
1: then you became Meg Meister.
4: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the, I don't know.
0: We You're have, being uh, too kind, Meg. She, too we, kind.
1: We, you know, we've we've been in situations where um, she missed flights or almost missed flights and I had to.
4: You did save me one time. <laughs> I will give you that.
0: Uh-oh. Let's hear about it.
1: <laughs> Kyle, you better tell the story. You know, I'll let you handle it because, you know, you guys get me in trouble all the time.
4: Kyle's pretty on time, I would say, generally, most of the time. And you were not today, so Correct. But that's probably, that's like one out of two times ever.
1: But go ahead with your story. I want to hear your version of it. <laughs> so I
4: don't remember. I totally forgot until you told me right now. What? Yeah. How, okay, if I was going to miss my flight, how do you think that I would recall that perfect scenario before that? There was It probably had to do with milk. What'd you say?
1: It had something to do with milk.
4: Oh, you're totally right. Oh, don't get me going on this. And <laughs> so uh, going on the on the mom aspect of life, when you tour and you're a new mom and you need to deal with your breast milk, it is an entirely different situation, especially in another country. Um, we were in Japan, Kyle? Mm-hmm. We were in Japan, and the night before, I had it down to a science on how you needed to save your breast milk, put your breast milk in containers, get it in the freezer at the hotel. I had given it to the hotel at, like, 12 a.m., told them to put it in the freezer, talked to multiple different people to put it in the freezer, being like, the freezer, where ice cream goes, not where you put cheese, you know? And they okay okay they yesed me all day long but clearly there was a language barrier in the morning i went to get it and it was not frozen which is a big problem when you go to the airport um and so when we got to the airport they were not gonna let me take it which like five days of saving milk feeds my kid for you know five days um and kyle probably saw me have my first meltdown at the airport i was not i was like in tears Trying to explain to them, because in Japan, I don't know, and I didn't look it up on what is culturally normal, but I had a really hard time telling them what I was carrying. They were acting like I was carrying drugs, and they couldn't put them through the security screening. Um, And I mean, Kyle and Jeremy sat with me forever. We literally almost missed the plane over breast milk, but it was so important to me that I brought it home um, because I didn't make a ton. And yeah, it was, it's, it was something to the point that I would, and I'm not giving up on changing for women who travel, there needs to be something worldwide done about it because it's not, there is not a worldwide policy on it. There's not an understanding on what needs to happen to be able to travel with breast milk. So, I really would like to change that in the world. If there's something I would like to change in the world, that would be something.
0: Well, that was an odd story for Kyle to bring up. Thanks for uh, hey, making hey. Meg share something personal <laughs> about breastfeeding well, her kid.
1: Because we were on the island. they were, One minute, one person said, height. Yeah. The next person said, x so through the x sign up so it was a complete mind fuck because one minute we were we were a go next minute we weren't and then they said, yo you could put it under the plane because it's cold enough she's like the plane is not going to be cold enough and then they said it'd be like a freezer so it was all over the place and then she asked me if i could take her aisle seat for a window seat i'm like yo just because you had milk problems don't mean to change my comfort zone for you that she said. Good
0: grief, Kyle having to give up his seat. I, and that, that does sound serious.
1: It is because I chose that seat.
0: Have you seen Kyle? It is serious. His seat.
1: My my my, my, my seat comfort, comfort is important, is even though we were coming home. But I felt for, her. and then when I conceded to give her this, he said, "Oh, never mind, I'm good." I'm like, you see, then you give her some love, and she go left on you. So it was a, it was an interesting day. Very. Nice.
4: <laughs> it was such. A, yeah. Oh man, that was a fight but I will change that from that fight. I will, I will change that someday in life.
3: Any other things you want to change in the touring world for mums? <laughs> no, it's great though. I mean, you're like the first generation of ladies in the career, doing the, doing the career and having a couple of children. Is there anything you'd like to impart with that beautiful notion?
4: Yeah. I mean, I would say that's the, the most important, I'm. Um, I'm very thankful of being so close to, you know, Kyle and Jeremy. And even though Jeremy and I are still kind of in a fight, but still he let the fight go. And <laughs> um, I really appreciated their friendship. And it, it wasn't just friendship, just the family that you get with having, you know, Being with these people day in and day out and going through something like that, which like some males are completely uncomfortable dealing with, they didn't care and they were right there for me. And I really appreciate that. And that's something that I hope never changes with our industry is the family aspects of things. And otherwise, I mean, I I think that's the toughest part and it's more culturally changing it but otherwise, for moms, everybody's super understanding. You know, Everyone's good about letting you FaceTime your kids. The boys do the same thing. Um, I kind of have a rule now. I don't like to be gone, I would say, more than five to seven days consecutively. And I'm very thankful with Pharrell that um, I don't have to deal with that because we don't tour that way, I guess. Tour longer than that. So...
1: How can you not have someone's back when they, for your birthday, wrap your console with wrapping paper and then give you a big slab of bacon since <laughs> I don't eat pork? Talk about, we give you, I forgot what the bet was, but just call, eat this bacon. It would change your life. And I'm like, uh-uh. So, you know, you got to have a person's back like that because the thought, that was an amazing thought. I, <laughs> I will never forget that day. I came into rehearsal Full SD7 wrapped in wrapping paper from the top to the sides. And then a big ass thing of bacon.
0: Happy I mean, birthday. It sounds, sounds to me like she was trying to do you a favor. I, I that, That's just coming from a personal perspective here. It sounds to me like you're giving her grief for trying to do you a solid.
1: Well, by introducing me to Swine... <laughs> they also had bottles in 1942,
2: so of course. Yeah. Well, see
1: the 1942 that just goes without saying. That, that's but you know that's that's like my 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 you know my crest of beverages. But I mean the fact that the console was wrapped and then gave me some bacon, like wrapped in bacon. It was kind of a she try to play me, but it was hilarious. I I, I could never forget that. They're like, Oh, please have some bacon." To this day, they try to get me to eat bacon. Never.
4: Because you don't know what you're missing, Kyle.
1: You really How do you not know, know what you're missing if you never had it? I mean, I'll
4: never try to stop convincing you
0: of that. <laughs> Sounds kind of self-explanatory to me that you could know what you're not missing by us telling you or something. I, I don't know. I'll leave that alone. Uh-huh. Whatever. Uh, moving on from that. Uh, this, this actually is, is a very, very important question for you, Meg. And, and, We've asked this question to a couple of guests and and have been surprised by the response. Have you ever seen Chris in his blue terry cloth robe?
4: You know, I do not think that I have, but I think that I have seen a photo.
0: Chris, how how is that even possible? We
1: well. I don't know. They had all fly dates,
2: <laughs> we, you to yeah, put a yeah.
1: Terry cloth robe on a fly date. Yeah, and yeah, be on the bus and kick it, your feet it, up.
2: Yeah, we, we were on planes like different a plane every single day, so I, I didn't even have
1: a chance to put on my pajamas. It was. But he failed to say they were private planes. They,
2: did
0: did you carry the bag with the eucalyptus scent in it? At least
2: I did carry that. I did have my pillow bag for
1: my two to three hours of sleep at the hotel i
0: did have Matt. that but
1: you did see how he skirted past the fact that they were private planes
0: i i respect his uh discretion and his willingness not to overstate his and unlike some people who insist of course the 1942 is there motherfucker.
1: you have to embrace the fruits of your labor
0: so be it. Well, Meg, I, I do have to say in that respect, then you really are truly missing out. Uh, you, you, and, and, and I know it sounds somewhat perverse and awkward, but Chris in his blue terry cloth robe is, it's, it's true. I mean, there is a reason why Chris is, uh, you know, otherwise known as Carlton Banks from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> and it's not just the stunning likeness and his ability to do the dance. That robe really solidifies the vision. It, it, it's it's a fantastic, fantastic thing to see. Chris, we should actually get a picture of that and put it on the website or something, like post it to our socials. Are you cool with that?
2: I don't know if we need to do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of feel like like that might be a, a good play. I, I it, it definitely would help our, our viewership. I mean, how can people not... Take to this picture. I, I apparently I'm just biased. What fuck do I know? And are you familiar, Meg, uh, with these this eucalyptus bag for pillows? This is a thing.
4: No. So on on Pharrell, Chris. Usually, it's we don't necessarily get Chris, Kyle, Jeremy all at one time. They kind of trade in and out, um, and I am never. I don't fly with them often, or I'm with the boys often.
1: So she has white gloves, touring yeah. dates that she chooses to do. No, that's not true. Oh, oh yeah. Platinum. She, she and choose. <laughs> yeah, see, we double Dutch in and out. She just chooses when to come and go.
4: Um, I don't even want to fight you. I don't even want to fight you right now.
1: <laughs> Why? You'd be like, uh, I'm not going to make this show.
0: Uh, I'll pull up <laughs> like, to the show. Fight. Fight. Uh, fight, fight! I'm good
1: today. <laughs> Leah, let's go to.
4: That's not true, Kyle. <laughs> I had two babies in three years. Uh, I don't want to hear about it. That's my only. You, got, you guys
1: have put a lot, lot of work back. in all the time too.
4: Otherwise, I'll Maldives, leave.
1: Maldives, baby. Let's go to the Maldives. For oh. had the show today, but I'm in the Maldives. <laughs> not...
4: You're
1: the worst. Who goes to the Maldives, Matt? Have you been to the Maldives?
4: I haven't been to the Maldives either. It was Bora
1: Bora. That's enough. Same water.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Kyle, you're just starting shit.
4: Yeah, pretty much. Which Uh, I appreciate. Uh, Megan, we're
0: going the other direction.
4: Can I ask you a question now? Me? Yeah. Of course. I want to know what you... I want you to describe our time together in the desert.
0: Our time to, uh oh, our time together in the desert. I, I would it's say this. I would say that I had a very difficult, no, not difficult, uh, very, I had a client with extremely high expectations, which included the expectation that they have what they want when they want it completely out of the blue and an ever changing, Opinion of what that may be, and a completely new team, and a production manager who had only just come on board three weeks before, an audio engineer who had been with us for what a Kyle? a week. I mean, the circumstances that Kyle got hiled onto that job is a fucking epic story unto itself. And I'll since since I said it, I'll, I'll give a brief or. Very briefly, I will only say that, uh, unfortunately, things didn't work out with this predecessor. For whatever reason, I'm not getting into that.
1: Crashed a whip.
0: And that person got fired literally. Then Kyle met that, that night. Literally, he was calling me. Can I come over now? Can I come over now? Because he'd driven like an hour to get to the studio. And I was like, not yet, not yet. You know, your predecessor is still behind the console, tr- thinks he's got the job. We had to call this person out into the parking lot and let him go during a rehearsal. And at that moment, Kyle was parked in his car listening to music, not 10 steps away. And we tried to be discreet, but my manager was not, he just wanted it done at that point. And literally dude turns around right after we let him go, turns back and says, is that Kyle Hamilton's car? And we were like, oh, fuck. Because he, I mean, he was standing literally right next to it. And there was Kyle right there. And and anyway, that's, that's, that's the Kyle story. But I would say that we were extremely challenging. That there was a lot of new going on. It was at the time the largest festival where I had a headline client. And Meg, I think you came in. And you were intent on your prerogative and making things go a certain way. And you stuck to your guns. And I thought you were very solid. I thought it started off a little rocky between us, but I think we were cool long before even the first show, let alone the second. And I thought overall, I thought overall it went well, though it definitely didn't start out that way. How'd I do?
4: And I want you to know that you guys weren't even close to the most difficult that has walked in that door, if that helps at all. Well, that show is very very challenging. Uh, everyone, Everyone wants to bring the absolute triple A, quadruple A game. And that goes from production to backstage to everything in between. And it's not easy. It's not easy for the artists. It's not easy for us. Um, But at the end of the day, we want to make sure that everybody has a good experience. That's why, you know, did you get done what you needed to get done is my hope. And was your artist happy? I hope.
0: I would say yes. I would say overall, we were extremely happy. I, you know, I appreciate and appreciated then that you have high expectations because I do too. I mean, that's the only reason I'm being critical now, because I do think it went very well, but my expectations are that everything be great. That's that we give the fans a fantastic experience that the production staff, the promoters and everybody backstage goes away saying, I want to work with these guys again. Um, and I mean, I expect that of myself. I expect that of everybody else. I don't know that it's always achieved, but that's always the expectation. And the aspiration, and um, yeah, I mean, our Coachella is a tough gig, um, just because the the circumstances are difficult. We were bringing in a massively heavy overhead video wall screen ceiling, we called it, and it posed substantial challenges. We were told, "No, you can't do this," at least a dozen times before we were allowed to do it. Um, you know, so there was definitely a lot of pressure that it be done. A certain way at a certain level. And, 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 you know, my client, again, I, I still work with them and I love them to death. So I don't mean to say anything negative at all, but their expectations are that things be a certain way. And frankly, if they heard no to anything, they were very quick to call the headliner of the previous night or the previous year and say, Hey, we just got told no to a question. We feel like the answer should be yes. Did you have a similar experience as this? Did they say yes to you? Because they wanted to be able to go back to you and say, Hey, we know that so-and-so got this. We, we expect it too." they didn't even want to be able to have it be a conversation. They just wanted to be able to say, this is our expectation. We know you've done this for somebody else. We expect you to do it for us. Now do it. And, and that definitely makes things, I mean, It makes things more challenging. It just is what it is. Why do you ask?
4: Like I said, I just wanted to make sure, you know, I I think it's important that the artists leave with a sense of, we want to come back here. We want to do this again. We want to, you know, bring this experience to the fans. Because at the end of the day, like I said before, standing on that stage and watching the fan experience is the entire reason why I do this. I get tears in my eyes every time I do it.
0: That and is, my was, see- sorry. Go ahead.
4: No, I was just—I was just going to say—I I can't imagine the next time that every single one of us step on that stage and look out at those fans. It's going to be—it's going to be a feeling that we've never felt before. You know, and Kyle stands in the middle of all of those people and can see what we have not been able to have for the last six months, it's or four months, whatever it has been. Um, It's something I feel like we've always taken for granted and I know the feeling that I've always gotten and now it's so it's going to be so much more intense. So it's important for me that it, it's a revolving circle. If the artist is happy, then they're going to put on a, a great show.
0: I agree with all that. And frankly, I'm glad you just said that about your favorite thing, because my favorite thing about the, being in this business is the same. It's standing on the side of that stage and seeing the audience reaction and just the elation of the crowd and the way the crowd moves with the music when everybody's engaged and just, I, I, yeah, it's it's the greatest feeling in the world for me. It's the reason why I do what I do. And, and I, I can't wait for it to happen again. October. i can only hope i can only hope you are right i am so not convinced so not convinced but i i mean meg what what do you think are we going to be in the desert in october
4: i'm not going to comment on that show specifically i'm going i think i think we're looking at 2021 for all the things
1: always a hater
4: i'm not a hater i'm just you know
1: a realist
4: A realist thank you
1: (laughs) The reason that we're going to be back in October
4: And I hope that you're right.
1: I
0: hope so 1942 too. on you I got you boo <laughs> Well Meg, you've been great. We usually do a series of quick hits on our way out so if you wouldn't mind sharing for our listeners your first tour experience.
4: My first tour experience is the American Carnage Tour with Testament, Megadeth, and Slayer. Uh, I was working a show called Rockahoma, and the dean guitar rep for Testament asked me if I ever wanted to tour, and I said it was a goal of mine, and he put me in touch with Testament, and the next thing I knew, in August, I was on the road.
0: Nice. And what would be your favorite tour? And by the way, before you answer that, if you say something to do with Kyle Hamilton, I will know you are lying.
1: It has nothing to do with me. I guarantee you.
0: Um,
1: unless it's when I got punched.
0: Ooh, that might be a favorite moment. I, I'll ask that next. You
4: know, I was looking ahead at the questions that we were going to speak about. And for me, a favorite tour is not, it's not something that I can answer because the relationship between the people for, I would say Blink-182, um, Slayer, and Pharrell, the families for each of those are so different, but a lot of the same people cross over. The experiences have just been... Incredible. And I can't, I can't tell you a favorite because I don't think it would be fair in saying that. I would say that there's moments for each of them that I never will forget that never makes me stop wanting to do what I do, but I cannot pick a favorite. I went over and over with this in my head and I, I don't think it's fair to pick one specifically.
0: Very politically correct response. Several of those today. I, I am impressed by that and appreciate it. Although definitely a cop out, cheap way out. Didn't want to answer. No, I, I don't
4: have it. I just can't. <laughs> I'm
0: yeah. Just fucking with you. Um, can you identify a moment or two? And this time you can definitely say when Kyle got punched. I would be. I would love to hear that story. More like
1: snuck. It wasn't a full-on punch, but we won't talk about it. It was. was Go ahead. Go ahead.
0: I mean, I'm thinking you got knocked flat on your ass. Please. uh, Negative. That's what I'm seeing.
1: The punch was was eaten like a little sirloin steak. But we won't talk about it because it's still in litigation. Uh. (laughs) Ah.
0: So why the fuck did you bring it up then?
1: <laughs> no, I'm being funny. But no, it's not a litigation. But no, it was a, it was an interesting moment. She was like, she had my back. It was a real, um, it wasn't even emotional. It was, it, was, it was, could have gone real left real fast. But everything was on camera. So, you know, the interesting moment was that I didn't hit nobody back. There's like, I held so much restraint. They, they just knew I was going to go 100% left. And I didn't.
0: And what would make that Meg's favorite moment other than seeing you getting punched?
1: Because she wanted me to punch him back, but I didn't.
0: Got it. Well, Meg, perhaps you'd like <laughs> to take a stab at this.
4: <sighs> I, I know you want me to. I know you need me to for the show, but I know not right now. We're not going to go there.
0: Okay. Okay.
4: Right. It, it, I apologize.
0: Any kind of humorous anecdote you'd like to share?
4: Um, I will have to, I do have to say something about Christine, if that's all right.
0: Please.
4: Um, one time, Christine Uh-oh. and I, uh, n- not so far, go- you know, two years, probably, Christine, right? Um, we ended up together in a very awkward situation down in Miami. Uh, and we-
3: Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that one. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Situation. Um, You know, both of us were friends with the person and things went left to left, but we needed to, you know, do, we needed to change some structure of what was happening, doing some hospitality stuff. And I think that Christine and I maybe never worked so hard in a six hour period to get everything out that needed to get out. But I don't think we've ever flung chips and soda and pretzels so hard, Christine. And you can help me continue with that.
3: You know what? The best thing about that horrific scenario was the thank you note that I got from um, the Nicki Minaj team, which was a first and amazing. So I figured all our work was worth its while, that we got that thank you note. But yeah, mysteries. Things you see, things we do, and you just your head spins sometimes. Yeah.
4: We filled like 50 riders in I don't know, six hours and it was kind of a it was just a, a militant line. so get those baskets out and get it done.
3: It, it was wild. wild in a thousand degree yeah. heat.
0: <laughs> and did this throwing of pretzels and sodas have anything to do with Silver Manny? No. Guess not. He must have been Nikki's TM at the time.
3: No, I don't remember him.
4: No, no. it was no artist specific. It was totally a festival, totally a festival problem that yeah. it just needed to be minded quickly. And, and Christine Solved. and I really just put our heads together, and boom! That was one of our you know greatest like work together moments. So you don't <laughs> fail or fuck, or fuck it all up.
0: Exactly. You
4: guys have one chance. Go.
0: There it is. Absolutely. All right. So Meg, we'll get you out on a softball. Any advice you'd like to impart on our listeners?
4: Um, when I was on Slayer, someone told me, the first thing that people are going to see in the morning is you. So not to ever portray yourself as drama, and always have a good attitude every day when you wake up at work. And I've carried that on with me throughout, whether I do festivals or tours or what have you. It is so important because every, everyone that you see throughout the day, you can completely embrace their energy or steal their energy. And that's a choice that you make. So it's so important to have a positive attitude in what we do to keep everyone happy. So that would be my advice.
0: I like that. And actually a tougher one. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. Anything else you'd like to change about the industry coming out of this pandemic? Something that we should all do better.
4: Regarding the pandemic?
0: No, just in general. Something about our workflow, something about the industry, something that you think we should do better?
4: I feel like it sounds so insignificant right now with what's going on, but I think that the routing of what we do needs to get better. I find so many issues with artists, with crew, with spending habits, and a lot of it comes down to the routing. And if we could work on that a little bit better, it would make everyone's lives easier.
0: That's interesting advice. I, I, I can't disagree with that. I, I appreciate you saying that. I, I Part of me wants to probe that question a little further, but I think we can leave it alone for now unless you want to add anything to it.
4: I mean ask all day long if you like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's save that, that for really part tough. two. I, I, I feel had like really we're tough scenarios. What's that now?
4: I just had really tough scenarios because of routing and very unhappy crew members and very unhappy artists. And it's you know, it's because of what was booked in the first place. When if there was a little more thought put into it, it would make everyone's lives
0: better. I agree with that. I totally agree with that. I, I, I feel like everyone in the touring industry needs to learn more about the touring industry, what it's like to actually be on the road and understand what each decision means to the people that have to execute those details in order to in order for all of us to do better and i think that that's part of what you're saying.
1: Correct.
0: So i appreciate that. Thank you. So on a final note, any shout outs?
4: I would say i do have yeah, Gus Brant. I will give a shout out to who is Pharrell's tour director. He has guided me through many years now. He's one of the most hilarious people that I've ever met, the things that come out of his mouth, I could never repeat and, or never think of. And Kyle can, and Chris can second me on that. And John Lafferty, I don't think that there's a production manager in the world that is better than that man. And the things that I've learned from him are incredible. And so I would say those are, those are my two. I thank them for everything that I know.
0: That's great. So Meg, Do you have any socials you'd like to share with our listeners?
4: No, mine are more private. I don't necessarily put them out on the, personally, but uh, BWG Live is our website. And for any of the concert production or experiential needs, you can go there.
0: Well, I appreciate that very much. Meg Dieter, you've been fantastic. To our listeners, check out BWG Live if you ever meet Meg on the road, you will be that much better off for it. We appreciate you being with us. I definitely welcome you to come back. I appreciate your willingness to fuck with Kyle just a little bit, although I would definitely encourage you to do more the next time. And with that, you can check us out anytime at hlub podcast. On Instagram. You can check us out at hustleikeyoubroke.com. You can send us your questions. And to everyone out there, think a little more about the greater good. Think a little more about your fellow man. Think a little more about standing up for your convictions, standing up for your beliefs, and praying for a better world. I don't know what else to say on that other than thank you and good night.